Hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tavalon. Have a cup of tea, or maybe a frothy ale. The light, why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Nynaeve wanted to hit her, to knock away that brief smile that flashed across the Aes Sedai's face. Aes Sedai had not been able to wield power openly since the breaking, much less the one power, but they plotted and manipulated, pulled strings like puppet masters, used thrones and nations like stones on a stones board. Nynaeve, Chapter 8, The Great Grunt. <laughs> Contempt. Sheer contempt. I love it. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Tracy. (laughs) Who apparently can't keep her clothes on today. Okay. I'm here with my friend Amber. This will be the next patron upload. (laughs) Tracy. (laughs) Doing the Taganda. (laughs) I'll go start assembling my outfit now. So we are starting today with chapters five through eight in The Great Hunt. These are some really good chapters. This was hard because these chapters were so good. I know you probably wanted to dictate the entire chapters in the recap. <laughs> I could I could feel it. <laughs> I have so many spots marked out in my book it's a little ridiculous just so many things where i was like "Ooh, oh stuff that says something about the character things that jordan writes that are just beautiful or instantly telling and i mean that's really how chapter five even opens up like i'm i'm pretty sure i grabbed the opening quote for that let me it's all the plotting and the manipulating and Mm -hmm. We've got some good White Cloaks chapters. Oh, my gosh. Oof, chef kiss. Like, I don't even like the White Cloaks. Neither do I. So good. It was, it was, this is the first time I didn't hate a White Cloak chapter. Let's go. Should we go? Should we go? Yeah, let's do do it. Okay, all right. So chapter five is the shadow in Shinar. And this, this is what I'm talking about. This is the opening quote for chapter five. Stilled, the words seemed to quiver in the air, almost visible. And this, oh, Robert Jordan, I love you so much. This is what I live for. So we start out chapter five with a Moraine point of view. And I love that because there just doesn't seem, in my opinion, like there are nearly enough of them. Like her and Swan are talking about Rand. And mm-hmm. she's like, this is treason. What they're talking about by not handing a man who can channel over to the Reds, this goes against all Aes Sedai teaching for like forever. To me, this is so stupid though, because right? there will be a dragon reborn. Mm-hmm. He's the man that can channel. Right. So yeah. like what were your plans? Exactly. No one ever no one ever talked about this. Right. Like, what were you thinking no about? No plan B? No right. plan B written yeah. into those tower bylaws? I, You know what? Yes, you make an excellent point because the Amarillin is the watcher of the seals, you know? And I mean, we also get it right. <laughs> because the Amarillin has not known where the seals are 
For centuries, the White Tower has lost them since the Trolloc Wars. So did they lose them or did they even ever have them? Just curious. I didn't dig too hard on this, but it was just said that they were lost sometime after the Trolloc Wars. So whether or not they had had them in their possession before that, I'm not 100% sure, but maybe somebody else. I smell a cover-up. Right? And I mean, if everyone in the Westlands considers the Amerlin the Watcher of the Seals, is this false representation of self? Because I feel like it is. Like, this is not your actual job description. You should maybe drop it. Mm -hmm. So Swan and... Moraine recognize this is serious business. And of course, they talk about the horn. Swan says Algomar like basically pushed the horn in her hands the moment she got there because it was just too much temptation. And like the next point that I have is like they have lost the seals and you had one job, one job. Keep the the seals, losing the horn. What's wrong with you guys? Losing it all. Yeah, I really love the moment when Swan talks about seeing Rand in the courtyard and she says he blazed blazed. like the sun, blazed, like you can see it, you can feel it, like what he must have looked like to her eyes in that moment Mm -hmm. and that she was terrified at seeing him and Swan admitting she's afraid is like, I don't even know what to liken that to. It's just not something that happens. She even says it like, I'm rarely afraid, but he frightened me to my toes or something like that. Moraine states that Randall Thor will stand before the world as the dragon reborn. And if she wasn't outing him with his outfits, she is now definitely outing him to the Amarillan. So they begin making plans, but there is much to be discussed and they are still kind of in this one-on-one zone that is suspicious so maureen is like can't talk now we'll make plans later mental note to herself is i can't tell you everything my friend so she's also keeping stuff back from swan and using this almost as an excuse to get out of there without telling her very best friend everything Mm -hmm. we switch point of views now and we go to the white cloaks and again joffram didn't hate it didn't hate it I, this was this so is, good. Yeah. This is so much foreshadowing for the last chapters of the book. Oh, like, my God. Ooh, so good. Yes. Okay, so Jeffrey Bornhold is a high-ranking member of the Children of the Light. I think he's like a Lord Captain Commander or whatever it is that they do. Maybe that's Jon Snow. Regardless. Uh, no, Lord, isn't the Lord... Um, or Lord, Lord Commander Com- or something like that. It's Lord Captain Commander, I'm pretty sure. Okay. But that's Pedro Nile, right? Yeah, I, he's like, the, he's, like he's the top of the top. And then I think whatever Bornhold's position is, is like the, it's almost like the Pope and the Cardinals. That's how I see yeah. it. There are a bunch of Cardinals, there's one Pope, and they all have like certain powers that are higher than other powers within the church. So this is this is Jeff from Bornhold. He's actually a Cardinal. Anyway, so quick reminder, because... We get so many names and so much happens in the first book. Jeffrey Bornhold is the White Cloak who was in command when Egwene and Perrin were captured and Hopper was killed. So we have already met him. We've had a little bit of experience with him. And truth be told, I'm just not a fan of this guy. So he's called back from Camelin. He has like kind of this flashback thought of why he's approaching Tom and Head with 2,000 white cloaks behind him. And he had been called back from Camelin, where he had felt 
a push and Morgase could be toppled. And the political implications of this statement it definitely escaped me before because, like you said, I'm the same way. Like, I fly through books and I don't necessarily pay attention to all of the nuances. But this moment here, like, hit me so differently than it has before because I'm thinking about how close Camelin comes to ruin and what that must have looked like in the process. And I'm wondering... Well, we got to see it. I mean, yes. in the eye of the world, yeah. this was... Like, Rand was afraid to be out on his own because of the colors that covered his sword. Camelin was in a rough spot, and the White Cloaks were there instigating it the whole way through. So he's kind of pissed off that he's been called back because he feels like they were really close to accomplishing mm -hmm. their goal and, like, getting a foothold in Camelin because, like, nobody ever invites the Children of the Light to anything. But now he's on this trip and he's thinking how old he is. This thought really just killed me. He says, at least he hadn't killed any innocents in his life. And I was like, oh, like gag, what the hell? Because how do you know? Like knowing what, what he did, how he talked to Perrin and Aguin when they were like under his guard, he wasn't trying to find their innocence. He was trying to see them as dark friends. But he also didn't kill them. He probably would have taken them to questioners mm -hmm. in the end and yes. probably would have been killed. But mm -hmm. he seems like a guy that doesn't really like to get his hands dirty with the whole torture thing. So. Yes. Yeah. And he seems very procedural, like he follows the rules. And that's cool, I guess. I think that's what keeps him from being a really bad character. He even comments about how his son, Dane is off with Eamon Valda and he's like Valda is not the guy I want with my son because he's a little too zealous and I can totally see him falling in with whatever Eamon Valda has to say and of course both of these characters come back later and I won't get into it I'm just gonna drop it there and go on so Bornhold is met by the second in command of the group of White Cloaks that they are meeting, and he finds out that they're there to meet a bunch of questioners, also known as the Hand of the Light, also known as the Torture Crew, by me from now on. Anyway, <laughs> this questioner tells Jeffrey Bornhold that the village that he's taking them to has been pacified, and Bornhold is pissed like this is one of those places where you see that he is very much a follow what he's told do as you like kind of would want to have done unto you in a way by like following the rules and he's like well that just means that there's going to be a bunch of bodies washing up on the banks of the river like in the village downstream kind of thing i'm not sure if he's so much upset that they handled things in their own way, mm -hmm. like maybe stepped outside the scope of their, mm -hmm. what their white cloaks like moral code, code. is yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But I think he's more upset with just it getting found out, mm -hmm. like these dead mm -hmm. bodies washing up on the wrong coast and yeah. people knowing like, oh, it was the white cloak because this is, they don't have the best PR to begin with, <laughs> I don't think. So I think that's putting it mildly. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. I think he's like, we were told not to be noticed. You have made it, so we will definitely be noticed. And in turn, that probably means more loss of life down the road for these innocents that Bornhold seems to be so proud of protecting and having not killed. Regardless, 
White cloaks are complicated. So there are rumors of Archer Hawkwing's armies returned, and we are going to hear this a lot. And Bornhall feels like something is off in this situation. He doesn't understand why he's been called there. He feels as though there's a plot happening that he is not privy to, and he moves forward at the end of his point of view, wondering who's pulling the strings at this moment. So then our next point of view is Leandrin, 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 something of the Red Aja. I actually like her. Like, not as like I want to be her best friend or hang out with her. <laughs> I like her character. In some ways, she she's is- She's not anyone that I ever was interested reading her points of view or anything. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh, another shady character <laughs> with no redeeming qualities. That's a really good way of looking at her, yeah. I think that's actually why I'm kind of drawn to her, though. You know, like... No, I don't know. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> she's great. I love her. She's yeah, fun. She, good times. She's not fun. Let's talk about how not fun Lyandrin is and why I like her. So in this particular point of view... She is on her way to see the Lady Amelisa, and she finds Amelisa in her chambers reading and laughing in front of the fire with her ladies. And I think this scene is so charming. They're so cute. Like, anytime Robert Jordan mentions, like, a group of women hanging out, drumming their heels on the floor and laughing, I just kind of get a little chuckle. So all of the girlish friendliness that Lyandrin had shown earlier is gone. And she's like, everyone needs to get out and I am talking to the lady Amelisa by herself and leave. And I love that she like gives the command to the air. She won't even look at the other ladies in the room. And I think that that is just, it's so telling of who she is, who she wants to be. Um, so once all of the women are gone, Landon goes into full-blown intimidation mo- mode and gets the lady Amelisa off balance enough to open her up to a weave Landon creates a forbidden weave intended to bend people to another person's will. Who? Who does that? An overzealous red? Question mark? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. She's just an overzealous red. Nothing uh-huh. nothing, nothing exciting to see here. Nothing to see here, folks. Nope. Anyway, so with this weave in place, Lyander commands that the Lady Amelisa, her ladies, her servants, all be on the lookout for Matt, Rand, and Parent. And once she gets done with this command she has this like begrudging thought towards the lady amelisa that this woman has power that lyandron doesn't and she does have this like thought at one point she's where she's like what queen within her has my power like she feels almost shakespearean in some ways maybe that's why i like her she's just dramatic she is just purely out to get power and it's so it's so single-minded it's so driven and it's so bad so anyway Landrin wants power and she's also looking for Matt Perrin and Rand Pot and Fane is the last person that we see in this chapter he's being rescued but not by who he expected hmm yeah who are you expecting Pot and Fane Maybe we'll talk about Hmm. that in the spoilers, Amber. Sounds good. Cool. Chapter six, Dark Prophecy. So we are switching over to Rand's point of view, and he's asleep on the floor in the women's quarters. 
sounds cold mm-hmm. and not very comfortable. Mm-mm. And we start out with one of my favorite things, another nightmare sequence from Rand's <laughs> point of view. <laughs> you love those. Yes, yes. This is a lie. Um, <laughs> so in his dream, Matt has gone full out, full blown dagger sickness. And then Perrin is in the after moments of clawing his actual eyeballs out. Then Baalzaman shows up in the dream and Fane is in the dream, Pot on Fane, and they are echoing one another, saying things like, the battle is not over in unison. <laughs> Nothing creepy about that at all. Do you think they so- had to practice that? <laughs> on three. One, two, three. The battle is never over, Althor. No, you fucked <laughs> up again, Fane. Damn it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm Fane in this <laughs> skit. So Rand wakes up and Robert Jordan gives us this really nice little recap description of Nynaeve. And she's sitting there and her knitting needles are making click, click, clicks. And she's looking over Rand with her dark eyes. And she's a slender woman with a big, fat braid. Nynaeve soothes Rand's worries and agrees to keep him hidden from the Amerlin Swan Sanche. And Rand is, this is a little bit humorous to me, but he's wearing this laborer's leather jerkin right. as a disguise. Right. Which I'm just like, okay, like. This is like Clark Kent in glasses. <laughs> who's not, who's not going to recognize him? Everybody recognizes him. Every woman in Faldara is trying to set Rand up with like their daughter. Like he's right? so he's such good marriage material and this is something that keeps coming up in these chapters. Why did they decide that? Egwene gave it to him as a gave him this jerkin and I guess as a disguise. I don't know. So then Nynaeve gives us some news. She tells Rand that Egwene has gone to see Padon Fane again and she wants to heal him. The serving women are acting strange, and Nynaeve tells Rand that they are coming and going at odd times, and Nynaeve thinks that they are looking for him. Mm-hmm. Rand doesn't believe her, but Nynaeve is like, all right. So Rand names the Dark One in frustration over the situation that's going on, and then he has a dizzy spell, and Nynaeve yells at him and threatens <laughs> to box his ears. Then they're interrupted by alarm bells and the keep is kind of going crazy and Rand thinks immediately of Egwene's safety and runs to her. So as he's running to her aid, women are screaming upon seeing this man in a jerkin with the sword in the women's quarters with Professor Plum and the pipe. (laughs) Heading towards the library. Yes. So Rand crosses paths in this quick moment with Swan Sanche, and I kind of get this look like I can just see her opening her mouth to like yell at him or say something, and he Young just kind man. of like, yeah, he just kind of like pew, like <laughs> runs off. Roadrunner so, style, little puffs yeah. of smoke behind him. <laughs> yes. And then pulling back from the funny moment, he's seeing men fighting Trollocs and there is chaos. There are dead Trolloc bodies all over the place and dead bodies of men. He ends up coming face to face with a Merdral. And as this happens, Ingtar engages the Merdral 
and basically tells Rand, like, I've got this. You're nowhere near capable enough to deal with this. Why don't you go try your hand at a Trolloc or two? Yeah, I love him in this moment. I love Angtar because he's just like, he's mine. You go fight a Trolloc for yourself, boy. I just really want these chapters to play out on screen. Oh, my God. I just... <sighs> a battle inside Faldara would be so cool. There has never been a Trolloc attack inside Faldara. This is the first time it has happened. And they've been there for, like, what, thousands of years? So it's such a an important indication that bad shit is on its way. Okay. So... Rand enters a corridor under the keep, which I'm guessing is the prison slash dungeon. Yeah. And as he's kind of lurking his way through, he finds the heads of the guards and the bodies are gone. And he later realizes that the bodies are gone because they have been eaten by the Trollocs. So apparently Trollocs don't like to eat the heads. Right. Well, maybe or maybe the Majral left them there as a message and told the Trollocs they couldn't have the heads. This is true. That's kind of what my thought was, is like, if you really wanted to freak people out the moment they came into that cell, what better way to do it than to have like two heads on the table? Ooh, eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> so... Hmm. Rand enters this corridor and he's greeted by all these dead heads mm-hmm. <laughs> and a script of words written in blood on the wall addressing him personally. Yep. And it says, we will meet again on Toman Head. Mm-hmm. And so Rand is like trying to scrub this off the wall. It's filth. I guess the Trollocs are able to to write, mm-hmm. which just seems weird to me. Is there a because... Trolloc school? Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They like, Trolloc daycare to Trolloc school with the Merdral. This is... Thank you. Yeah. Because How I just, did... I can't see, like, the Trolloc, like, like <laughs> standing over a dead body with, like, their finger, like, finger painting on the wall. Right? Like, we meet again <laughs> on Toman Head. Unless, I feel like that one was unless this left was by... done by the Fade. Well, or Pod and Fane, because they were there to rescue him. And that's something I can absolutely see Pod and Fane writing on the wall. He's like he's the one I've always assumed has left that message there for Rand. Is like But I feel but wasn't wasn't it partially done in the it wasn't in like their normal language, wasn't it? Because oh, later was... Baron has to or was yeah, there another there one? There was a lot of writing in blood on the walls which is another big question mark like you guys had time to hang out and write a mini novella on the wall (laughs) how did you have time for that it is a very long paragraph that was written yes anyways so rand is trying to scrub this off the wall and leandrin enters seeing rand trying to wipe all the blood off and she's like what are you doing are you writing this because of course leandrin yeah he's writing it right now this is so dumb so she uses the one power on him hurting him holding him in place and commanding him to tell her what he's doing and this is similar to kind of what she's done to the lady amelisa where Mm -hmm. she's 
trying to coax this information out of Rand and he's using every fiber of his being not surrendering to her wants. So as this is going on, Moraine enters the dungeon and then we get a few kind of rapid fire things that we learn. So Egwene is in the dungeon. She's been injured, hit in the head. Padamfain has escaped. The Horn of Valir is gone. The Shadow Spawn entered through the dog gate, which mm-hmm. means someone let them in, which mm-hmm. means someone in Valdara is a Shadow Pal. Dun dun dun. And that wraps up chapter six. Oof. All right. So chapter seven is Blood Calls Blood, which I think is such a good title for a chapter. So, Moraine point of view again. I got all the Moraine point of view ones. Thank you. Matt has been carried away, and he's been kind of sort of healed by the Aes Sedai. And I say kind of sort of because they can't fully heal him without the dagger. And Varen comments that despite what they've done, Matt has only a matter of months to live. And Moraine is wondering... Like, what use is Matt at this point? Like, her thought is, he is not necessary with the horn gone, and yet, dot, dot, dot. Harsh. Right? Cold. Cold, Maureen. (laughs) Cold-blooded. It's an Amber sing-along. There's a podcast that I listen to where someone sings that often. (laughs) It's Ty and that guy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, I've watched a couple of those. I just can't get over... Wes Chatham. Yeah, his smile! Tell him to stop that! He needs fan-casted in the Wheel of Time. He needs real-casted <gasps> in the Wheel of Time. Oh my god, this is awful, but do you know who he would be really good as? Tell me! Gabriel or Robin. Ooh. Right? Because he's, like, tall and muscular and well-built and good-looking. Like, yeah, I could Rob- see more gays falling for him. Ravina's like tall, dark, and handsome, though. So, so, <laughs> you know who you know who I think he would make a good yeah I want to know yeah Talmanas. Ooh, ooh, oh! So you would make him one of my favorites. Yeah, <laughs> and he's so dry. Let's see here. We were talking about how cold Moraine is. So the Amberlin attempts to dismiss Varen. She's like, hey, we're all tired. Why don't you go hit the ham and talk to Moraine for a second? And Varen's like, interesting thing about the stuff that's written down in the cell. And so she says it has the form of poetry or song and the sound of prophecy. Varen, you creep. Right? You absolute creep of a woman. <laughs> you know what, though? I'm 100% there for it. I would totally be a Varen in this situation. I would want to know what those bloody words meant. But I, I, would like to, I would like to believe that I could pull a notebook out of my pocket and start translating away. I mean, how, how, Varen, how do you even know how to do this? Why do you even Varen know how to do this? Varen is Steve from Blue's Clues. <laughs> We just got a letter. We no, okay, sorry. <laughs> so these are these are the the main points of what Varen has translated. She's seeing it as potentially a dark prophecy, which is basically unknown by people who are not dark friends. So Lanfear is back. We get the daughter of the night, Lord Luke and Isam. These are two names that I would definitely say, like, kind of keep tucked in the back of your head because they're going to come back again later. 
we do get a breakdown that Lord Luke had been first prince or whatever it is to the daughter heir of Andor and had gone missing at the same time that Tigraine had. So between the two of them, they basically destroyed the line of succession for Andor. So Lord Luke is actually kind of important and Isam is Lan's cousin, right? I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So these are two names to remember. Hawkwing's armies may be returning and Varen has this really fun moment where she's like this could be happening or it could not be happening yeah swan sanche is like christ woman (laughs) yeah is it or isn't it quit thinking out loud yeah she's like so ready to see her god and the whole time moraine is like oh my god browns they're just so oblivious. Like, we don't need to be talking about this. There's so many more important things to talk about. And then Varen just drops the bomb and is like, well, and of course, one of the young men that you brought with you is the man who can channel. And then Moraine and Swan realize that they now have a third person in this secret mission of bringing the Dragon Reborn safely to where he needs to be. So... Moraine kind of gets slapped in the face with the fact that the Browns are not nearly as oblivious as she thought they were. Well, not not the Browns, just Varen. Just Varen. Varen is particularly sharp, which is probably one of the reasons why I like her so much. And she's so subtle about it. You know, she's just so unsuspecting. I always saw her as this person who was like kind of lost in her own head. Like, I feel like I relate to Varen strongly. I'm a bit flighty. I don't always look like I'm paying attention. But I probably am. You know, you're always chasing your dogs when we're trying to record. (laughs) For Varen, it's her owl. (laughs) Come back here, right? Why do you keep flying everywhere? Stop it. So then we jump to the Perrin point of view. He's been attempting to see Matt in the sick room. Leanne's been in charge of kind of keeping everybody away from Matt. He waits until Leanne takes like a little break and then he goes over and he sits next to Rand in the sick room and we get this like this momentary exposure or thought of Perrin's extra sensitive senses at this point he notices that the sick room smells like death and sickness like sick (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and then also that Matt smells wrong he looks like he's going to recover but there's something still wrong with him so Leanne finds Perrin sitting next to Matt And since he's not supposed to be there, she starts to chastise him and tell him to go away. And then she comments on how pretty he is. And I just think maybe Leanne should have gone green. She's commented, I think, on each one of these individual boys who are like under 20 and how pretty they are and how she would bond them if she could. But then she reaches up and she grabs his head and checks his health using the power. And she's like, you are as healthy as a young wild animal. But if you were born with those eyes, I am a white cloak. And Perrin's like, my light cursed eyes. And he runs away to go mope. Bran's point of view is the next one we get. He's having an internal struggle. Should he stay? Should he go? Perrin returns to their shared room. And in the conversation that he has with Rand, it does seem as though there's an opportunity for reconciliation. But then Rand shuts down and is like, it's too secret. I can't tell you. It'll be bad if you know the truth. And Perrin's like, fine. And he storms off and slams the door. And Rand sits and mopes. And then Lan comes in. And this is maybe 
one of our biggest lessons with land that we've gotten so far. I don't know if there are more that are like this, but this one was so Lessons with land. This was so fun. So land picks out Rand's outfit. I love this. Like, I'm just like picturing him going through all of those coats. Nope, nope. Nope, nope. Okay, this one. While telling him a million things all at once. Do this, don't do this, do yes. that. Definitely don't do that. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, oh yeah, and wear your sword. And Rand's like, dude, do you have any idea the amount of shit I got for wearing a sword in the women's apartments last time? And now you're like, wear a sword? To meet the Amerlin? Yeah, like he's, but Land's like, nope, wear your sword. So he does. I feel like this is when you screw with the apprentice. Like, <laughs> yeah, like she said to wear your sword. It'll be fun. Everyone will love it. There were a couple moments in this where what Rand says makes Land smile or like the ghost of a smile touches his lips, like things like that. And I think it's adorable. But Rand says he thinks he knows how to bow because he saw the Queen's guards do it. And Land's like, yep, just like that. That'll make That's him think. That's my boy. Yeah, yeah, it's really <laughs> funny. So then he ties this golden cord around Rand's arm. On it is hanging a pin. It's the Red Eagle of Minethrin. And it's just... It's so sweet. This is such a sweet moment. But then, <laughs> Lan says, the light burned me. I am probably wasting my time, but I have nothing better to do. Ouch! <laughs> I don't know how I would feel. That's not exactly the pep talk I would want to have. Who does, who does Lan hate more, Swan Sanche or Rand? <laughs> because he's, you know what I mean? He's kind of like... Mm-hmm screwing with both of them mm -hmm. in this moment like mm -hmm. yeah rand wear your sword that'll be hilarious yeah also yeah. swan sanche like haha like she's this not gonna, is gonna know be what to do with great. you yeah. <laughs> yeah you're gonna sound like a borderlander you're going to look like an endoran noble and you're going to oh no you're going to look, look like, like an, an eel and you're going to bow, bow. like a queen's guard <laughs> from andor <laughs> Oh, that's Lan's reaction in his head. That's oh, what he's doing. so good. <laughs> so good. I, I mean, if it makes Lan smile, it would make any of us drum our heels on the floor with laughter. Right. If the stone-faced man can get a hint of a smile at this, I can't breathe. I absolutely love this. And then this burn on Rand on top of it. And then the last thing that stuck with me from the chapter is there's one rule above all others for being a man. Whatever comes, face it on your feet. Unless you only have one leg because that's <laughs> a little bit fucked up, Lan. Chapter 8, The Dragon Reborn. I wonder what happens in this chapter. Titles like this make me laugh pretty hard because it's like, oh, there's no subtlety to this one. So the Amerlin has summoned Rand to her chambers. He is in the midst of walking there with Lan, and they are getting their swagger on. Lan tells him, Cat crosses the courtyard, just like Lan does in his training. So without even thinking about it, Rand starts strutting. So his back is very straight, but his arms are very loose. And... I mean, I know that it's supposed to be like a tough guy kind of swagger, but all I'm seeing in my head is Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Maureen and Varen are there in the room. 
And Moraine tells Rand the story of his birth and that he was born on the slopes of Dragon Mount during the Aiel War. Tam was a blade master that brought him home and that she and Swan have known about him since this foretelling of Guitar Moroso all the way back from New Spring era. So Mm -hmm. Swan tells Rand that his friends are leaving to find the Horn of Valir, and they offer Rand a choice of leaving with them. We, the readers, and Rand learn that he is the Dragon Reborn. Mm -hmm. So Swan tells him that despite him not wanting to channel, he was born with the spark and Mm -hmm. that he must learn to control it. It's his destiny. Then we switch to Nynaeve's point of view, and she's kind of rushing to try and catch up with him, but she loses sight. There's Mm -hmm. too much going on. So she ends up running into Lan, more like Lan kind of running into her, and she's trying not to look at him. But Lan's like, I wish to speak to you, Nynaeve. And she is so angry because he shamed her when she told him her intentions in the eye of the world. Yeah. The book, not the place. So Lan gives her his signet ring, which is the ring of the royal family of Malkier. And he calls her his Mashiera, which means his lost love. Oof. Yeah. Heart-wrenching. And as if things couldn't get bad enough for Nynaeve, Moraine intrudes on this moment with Lan. She then attempts to manipulate Nynaeve into going to Tarvalin. Yeah. Because she knows Nynaeve's desire to keep Egwene safe, Mm -hmm. and she's kind of holding it over Nynaeve. Like, you don't want Egwene to be in Tarvalin all alone, do you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is Moraine's intentions? Does she mm-hmm. think that if Nynaeve stays with Rand, that she'll potentially hold him back from his destiny? Mm-hmm. Or is she just being a jerk? I think she's just being kind of, like manipulative. Maybe it will become clearer as I read on. But at this point, I'm really trying to figure it out. So in that particular conversation... Moraine says, you will never learn what you need to learn to be able to kill me. That is one heck of a statement. Yeah, but it still doesn't answer any questions. No, it just adds to it. It's like, why would you tell that to her? She really wants Nynaeve to get to Tarvalin, but... But why? I mean, is it so that, like, the blues get more power somehow because now they found these girls maybe it's like oh like we can present you there and yeah they yeah. know how strong she is mm-hmm. but because i mean they were ta- they were talking about how the reds were all like ha, we found elaine and she's like the strongest in a thousand years so maureen knows how to push all of Nynaeve's, Nynaeve's buttons she knows exactly what to say to kind of push her in the direction that she wants her to go in and in this one she's pushed like every single button she could possibly push and Nynaeve just feels kind of off after it you know i almost also wonder if maureen is just being a jerk because she's feeling things through the water bond and oh man i hadn't thought about that i mean i don't see maureen as really being that possessive mm-hmm. over lan but but it's possible it's possible yeah no that's a really good point i had not thought about that i mean the relationship isn't sexual Mm -mm. that we know of but i feel like 
maybe it's more or less like trying to guard their emotional bond, mm-hmm. not their water bond, but or and their water bonds. Maybe she just really likes having the most badass water in Tarvalin. I would. She doesn't want to lose that. I'm competitive. Yeah. I'd Same. love that. Yeah. <laughs> so where was I? Okay. So Moraine intrudes on this moment and Nynaeve thinks about hitting Moraine, which is from the quote that I pulled from the beginning of the episode, and Mm -hmm. she wants to knock the smile off of her face, which I live for, because in this moment, I do too. Yeah, yeah. That was so awful. Mm -hmm. And Nynaeve is just getting over the fact that Lan basically turned her down in the last book, and now he's giving her his signet ring, like basically being like, I'm going to die, and here, take this thing. Here, take this throw it away if you don't want it. Yeah. Just all these kind of like mixed emotions and feelings and then Moraine smirking. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Thanks, Moraine. Girl. Unnecessary. Unnecessary. Yeah. So, or who knows? Maybe this is complete narrator bias and Moraine mm. did not smile at all and Nynaeve is just pissed. I love it so. when you when you point out the possibility of narrator bias because I never <laughs> think about that. And then you say something about it and I'm like, oh, Everyone could be lying. Everyone could be lying. Because, I mean, think about it. The way we all see things is based on our point of view, on our experiences. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times we have tendencies to project what we want to see in other people. And I think in a lot of ways that's what's happening with Nynaeve right now. She's kind of like, she's just not in a very good place at the moment. No. Speaking of people who aren't in good places... We then switch to Egwene's point of view. She thinks to herself that Nynaeve is mooning after Lan. And then she does say, like, but Lan's being dumb because it's obvious that he loves her and he Mm -hmm. just needs to tell her that he loves her. Then in a heartbreaking moment, Nynaeve tells Egwene not to call her wisdom anymore. And this is becoming apparent that parts of their old lives are being put behind them. So Rand is down at the bottom of the women's quarters, kind of yelling and carrying on, and the women are all in a tither about him being wild, I guess. Mm-hmm. And she eventually finds her way down to him. She's led by some woman, I forget her name, doesn't matter. And she tells him that she is going to go to Tarvalin and... She feels pangs of jealousy knowing that their paths are separating. And this really hit me. She tells him that she promises she will find a way to help him. Mm. And Rand asks her to please, whatever she does, not choose the Red Aja. So as we are left with this gut-wrenching chapter, Egwene is hugging Rand and it ends with him pulling her arms off of him as she's sobbing and he walks away and she just cries to herself and that's how this chapter ends and I teared up reading it knowing how much their paths are pulling away from each other and on top of that they we're gonna move right into spoilers right now so all right buckle up (laughs) 
Hello friends, it's time for a new ad. There's so much happening in the Wheel of Time world and we have opportunities for you to help us continue to create quality Wheel of Time content. If you would like to help, rate us wherever you listen. This helps other people find the podcast. You can also join us on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. Help create the show by joining us on Patreon. We have four different tiers with perks ranging from shoutouts to bonus content to merch not found in our Threadless store. Speaking of the Threadless shop, it's absolutely bursting with beautiful Wheel of Time designs and various items to put them on. Need a Wolf Brother t-shirt? It's there. A first sister pin to send to your bestie? We've got them. How about a White Tower Dropout sweatshirt? You know Amber made one. The point is, we love the Wheel of Time. You love the Wheel of Time. Go get some merch that shows it. You can find links for Patreon and our Threadless shop in our show notes. One last thing. You guys are the best. Your support means the world to us. Thank you for being the amazing people, humans, sentient creatures that you are and keeping us company on the road to Tarvalin. But they never go back to having a good relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything after this point, there's there's always been a little bit of kind of animosity between them, but it's not like it becomes later on. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking forward to Egwene basically telling Elaine, like, yeah, you can have him. Like, I don't want him anymore. And the relationship never recovers after this moment, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And I feel so sad for Egwene, but I also kind of see how their stories take this parallel path where Rand Mm. for a while feels like he has to become hard, like Queen DR, like Stone Rand, like Hard Rand. And Egwene gets... I'm just going to say, like, brutalized so many times. Oh, my God, yeah. Where she kind of almost takes the similar path where she toughens herself up. Mm-hmm. And the thing is with Rand, like, he eventually is able to put his guard down. And Egwene does a little bit, too. I feel like her bonding Gawain was kind of her, like, opening herself up to mm-hmm. be hurt again. Mm-hmm. But it's so crazy how similar their paths are. Mm-hmm. Rand does some pretty horrible stuff. Egwene does some not so great things. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting that this is the moment where things branch off for them. We know how things end up and it's just, I don't know, it's sad. It's bittersweet. But I, I don't think that this is her completely being upset it losing Rand, I think that she's a long way from home. It's mm-hmm. all kind of hitting her at once. She's mm-hmm. going to Tarvalin. Her life is starting a new chapter, and she's mm-hmm. really leaving everything behind. Yeah. No, I think I think that has a lot to do with it too. Like watching Rand walk away is basically like watching her expected future walk away. You know, right. like she is saying right. goodbye entirely to the life that she thought she was going Mm -hmm. to have. And now that life is going to be something she could only have imagined before Moraine's arrival and finding out that she could become Aes Sedai. Egwene is sensitive enough and aware enough of like 
what's going on, that this is a heartbreaking moment in multiple ways. I mean, she might not even know why she's crying right now. Yeah. It's just being hit with so many things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I sometimes cry on vacation, even when I'm happy. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Faldara sounds like a great vacation. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't even get to have their feast. You know? I was actually looking forward to that. Yeah. No Beltine. No feast for the Amarillan. God, those Trollocs are the worst party crashers ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Show up a day early. Fuck shit up. Speaking of party crashing, again, just I love these little attentions to detail. The women's quarters in Faldara don't have real windows. They yeah. have arrow slits with cute curtains. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. This will make it better. Faldara Keep is a fortress. It's palace-fortress combined. It, it makes sense, you know? And you know what? I just about guarantee that most of those women in the women's quarters could pick up a bow and arrow and use those arrow slits, too. I wonder. They I seem wonder. like they seem like that kind of bunch. I find it also odd, too, that there aren't supposed to be any weapons in the female quarters. And I wonder what the rule behind that was. Because you would think... Being where they are, this close to the blight, they might like that security of just maybe having something around just in case. I mean, that does create an incredible dependence on... The men? The men. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember which chapter it is, but and I don't remember who said it, but I feel as though someone had said no one would ever wear a weapon in the women's apartments. No one would ever need to. And any man would fight and die for defending the woman inside there. So it's the woman whose name I've forgotten that okay. leads Egwene to Rand. Okay, okay, yeah, because I rem- I remember that part, but I do find it weird, you know, not to, especially in a place like Faldara. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So chapter five, one of the things that. Swan and Moraine talk about in the very beginning of chapter five is the possibility of being stilled and they discuss what has happened to Amarillans in the past and that they usually end up being scullery maids more or less Mm -hmm. and Swan says no one can rally around a woman who must scrub floors and pots all day and I'm like oh really really Swan no one because that's exactly what Egwene does later on and well, it's also it's alluding to being stilled, mm-hmm. and it's also giving us like history flashbacks of Tetsuan mm-hmm. and Bonwin, Bonwin, Bonwin. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because Swan gets stilled, and she's right there helping command the the little tower, mm-hmm. and they eventually kind of like lead a war party out into the steps of Tarvalin. Mm-hmm. And you know Swan isn't just sitting around knitting. She's leading shit. She's yep. getting stuff done. Yeah. So Yeah. And she it's used, just cool. She uses what she knows to maneuver through a very dark, unfortunate terrorizing moment of what she went through to be stilled and she uses that as fuel to keep her going and 
I think she also kind of forgets like what her roots are in that statement. Like if you have the grit for it, if you have the determination for it, it really doesn't matter what you're doing. You can still find a way to make a difference. And Swan faces that really hard, like post stilling and escape and finding her reason. So I find I find that interesting and you're very very correct about the the foreshadowing internal thought from moraine yet the world will burn swan one way or another whatever we do you could never see that i'm kind of wondering about this because i feel as though in this moment moment excuse me moraine is like the pessimist and swan is the optimist if you will after talking about being stilled no 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 <laughs> when they like move when they move to talking about rand being the dragon reborn and like what the consequences of allowing rand to be the dragon reborn will be and swan is kind of like well as long as we guide him everything is going to be fine and moraine is like even if we try to guide him and we've seen that that's barely possible, possible the world is still going to burn people are still going to die there's still going to be tragedy in abundance as this unfolds and yeah, but I see it, too, from Swan's point of view, mm-hmm. where she's literally been sitting around waiting for word from Moraine, mm-hmm. and she gets nothing. So she's probably still in that place of, like, okay, we found him, and excited about it, like, this is good. Mm-hmm. But Moraine has been trekking all over the Westlands with him, yep, <laughs> pulling her hair out, like, no, it's not so good, right. trust me. Yeah, it's not that great. I found that that statement interesting that one of them looks at it one way and the other one seems to look at it in a different way. Anytime Eamon Valda is mentioned, I just kind of want to throw up a little bit. I really hate this guy. Um, But one of the things that I think is intriguing in this particular moment is when Joffrey Bornhold is thinking about his son, he's thinking about how overzealous he is. And I'm just wondering what kind of influence even Valda must have had on Dane Bornhold while they were together. You know what I mean? Like, Dane Bornhold becomes this really dark, extremely fervent character. And I'm, like, even Valda just to me is bleh. So I'm wondering, like, did did he rub off on him? Was that fear of Jeffram? God, I can't ever say his name right. Was was his fear founded on reality? You know what I mean? Because I mean, he doesn't ever find out his he dies by the end of the book. Well, Jeffram has something against questioners in general. Mm-hmm. He thinks they're like beneath him. Mm-hmm. So like. Well, you've got two categories here. You've got the military guy who's just, the you know, the follow orders, like mm-hmm. the military grunt. Mm-hmm. He can follow orders. He can get the job done. But on the other hand, the questioners are the spies. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like two opposing ideals. You have mm-hmm. the one that are that probably see themselves as like really brainy mm-hmm. and smart mm-hmm. and, you know, dealing in espionage and the other one is just kind of like a hammer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's two 
classes, I guess, where they wouldn't feel like they mix so well anyways. Mm -hmm. And then Dane Bornhall just goes nuts after his dad dies. So I feel like maybe, maybe he just needs a new daddy. I don't know. Maybe he's looking up to people that he shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, I do. I do. And that absolutely makes sense. This is another place I don't understand when the questioner that meets up with uh, Borham, yeah, says he uses this reasoning that there's no central oversight for the villages around them. He's like the best that any of them have as a village council or possibly a mayor. And his brain just makes this leap that that means that there are dark friends there and the children of the light are always welcome where there are dark friends because that's their whole purpose and so he has like this really weird like if no one's looking after them we're the ones that are going to look after them and that involves torture and killing people so that's fun but it also leads me to think of like their time in the two rivers later on, because the two rivers is set up the same way. They have a mayor, they have a village council, but they don't necessarily... I think this just means that it's easy pickings. Like they yeah. chose this village specifically because there's no pushback. Yeah, there's, there's not no gonna, military. Yeah, there's there. not going to be some king's army that's going to come save this particular village because they're not there to do it. Anyone that stands up against them without any true authority Mm -hmm. so they don't have a king they don't have a mayor or whatever then they can just call them a dark friend and easy done done it just seems like such a thin branch to stand on like i think we can see behind that you and i and definitely jofram that that has nothing to do with it except for the fact that it makes that particular place easier to invade like you said Mm -hmm. um so it's just more it's more of an excuse than anything else yeah i love this chapter because reading it i was like yes my white cloak conspiracy (laughs) it just feels so spot on because bornheld is talking about more gays being toppled Mm -hmm. and then I'm thinking back to, so this is probably why the White Cloaks were passing through the forest in Eye of the World, which we had talked about before. Mm -hmm. They're trying to enter Camelin unnoticed. Mm -hmm. And then this is followed by Bornhold being told to sneak a legion of soldiers into Terabon. And Mm -hmm. this is about 2,000 soldiers. Mm -hmm. So Joffram says, yeah, maybe 50 or 100 could enter without question. Right. And I'm thinking back to Camelin. Mm-hmm. That's probably why they were sneaking around in the field or in the forest and yep. not traveling the Camelin Road. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of questions going on in my head about how exactly this white cloak approach into Terabon is going to be handled. Yeah. Yeah. And This is, again, I haven't paid, I didn't pay so close attention to the White Cloaks on my first read of this. So I'm really actually excited to see everything happening Mm -hmm. in Terrabon. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, maybe that's why Pedro and Niall picked Joffrey Bornhald for this mission. Is if Joffrey was able to approach Camelin 
undetected with a shit ton of white cloaks, then he could do the same thing in Terrapon. And it seems as though he was... Do we remember how many white cloaks were in the white cloak camp that had Perrin and Egwene? You know, I don't remember. Maybe it was a much smaller group. I think it was. Was it? Okay. That would actually make sense because this is I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a cloaks. legion. <laughs> no. 2000 men is a lot. And Pedro Nile is like you have 3 days to get this ready. And I'm like, "What? 3 days? I will go back and reread that chapter because Lan specifically says how many are in the camp. Okay. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. I will do that. I wouldn't mind knowing. Upon checking your notes, I have determined that Landman Dragarin counted over 200 soldiers in the White Cloak camp. Cool. Thank you. So I do like this talk about Terabon mm -hmm. and kind of the strange things happening on Toman Head mm -hmm. because Toman Head keeps getting name dropped yeah. often, often in these chapters. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would just kind of give us a little rundown on wheel of time geography <laughs> so if you're looking at the map toman head is on the very far west coast of the map and it's a peninsula and falma is their biggest city and this peninsula is like jutting out into the Arath ocean so the white cloak stronghold is in amadicia so if they wanted to get to toman head they would have to cut through Terabon, which mm. is where they're meeting right now. Mm -hmm. So the higher ups of the White Cloaks might be trying to get to Toman Head and Terabon is just their organizing spot, mm -hmm. I guess. These reports of the strange things happening on Toman Head mm -hmm. are true. It's the Shanchen. And again, this questioner is telling Bornhold that there's female channelers and it's the de demani mm -hmm. domane however you say it not da domani Domine. not people from arid doman no. but i always say it domane in my head like dominate yeah yeah kind of like that it makes it makes sense it's interesting how we get this first look into Yakim Karadin mm -hmm. and this questioner that Bornhold meets mm -hmm. mentions Yakim Karadin. Mm -hmm. He's second in command to Yakim Karadin. Mm -hmm. So we've got a dark friend pushing these white cloaks into Terabon. Mm -hmm. This is his directive from Baalzaman. Right. You know? So Bornhold right. is like, who's who's pulling the strings? And I'm like, the dark one. The dark yes. one's pulling the strings. This is the second quote of someone saying that they are just stones on a stone board mm -hmm. because Joffrey says he's just a piece, mm -hmm. like in this game. Mm -hmm. And in this earlier quote that I read at the beginning, Nynaeve says the exact same thing yeah. about the Aes Sedai. Yep. We've got this interesting dichotomy. Whew. It has been a really long time since I read the books, like, for the first time. And I am fairly certain that the first time I read this, I did not think about Lyandrin being Black Aja. But I also don't think that I was 
alerted fully yet until mm-hmm. like she mentions it and she's like of the black aja you've heard you know in her yoda way of speaking but she's definitely she comes at the lady amelisa and it's almost like this extra fervent servant of the light almost when she's like do you serve the light my daughter or whatever and she's like trying to help her with lord algomar like there's definitely something conspiratorial about the way that she's behaving but i didn't necessarily think that she was a dark friend in that moment did you yes yeah you like had her pegged immediately this is a this is a dark friend Yes. Yeah. Okay. In my head, I wasn't thinking the word dark friend, mm-hmm. but I just knew that after we got this prologue yep. and we see that there are Aes Sedai that are questionable mm-hmm. and then she does what she does, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's projecting hardcore. We mm-hmm. know she's a dark friend and then she's accusing the lady Amelisa of being a dark friend. Mm-hmm. It's just like... Yeah, her, like, whole power trip throughout that entire thing is so frustrating. She is legitimately the most frustrating Aes Sedai I think we meet throughout the series, in my opinion. Because she's always, or maybe Black, I think, I'll say Black Aja. Because she's always wanting more. She's always looking for power. When she's talking about this compulsion weave that she can't do Mm -hmm. properly, she's like how hard she tried to make that particular weave be more than what it was. And then Mogidian shows up and is like, hey, by the way, this is what it should look like. And Lyandrin is like, fuck my life, you know? So I'm always very curious because it has been so long since I've read the the books that what first impressions were. I mean, your first impressions are much more recent than mine are. But I love that you had her, like, pegged as, like, a dark friend or someone evil. I think I don't really love her as a character because she feels so black and white. Mm, Yes. Like, Mm -hmm. there's no real grayness to her. (laughs) Well, it's just, I feel like it makes her a bad villain Mm -hmm. where it's just like, oh, okay, like. She's very stereotypical. Yeah, it's just like she's got one quality about her is this like is this lazy writing on jordan's part (laughs) no because he has so many thousands of characters but i think just this early in the beginning he had to give us someone that was a baddie Mm -hmm. and this is who it ends up being Yeah. yeah i like it is this our first time seeing compulsion yes okay that's what i thought but it's not called compulsion in this moment, is it? I don't even think it's compulsion light. I feel like it's compulsion botched. Like that moment where she finds Rand and she's trying it on him and he's explaining the agony that he's going through. Like she's obviously not oh. approaching this with a delicate touch. You know what I but mean? But it worked though. It works, but it's faulty. She had to go through all kinds of things to get. Amalisa knocked off balance you know like she flared the lamps and she made the fire roar and started talking about Algamar being a dark friend and how she would save them and so poor lady Amalisa is mm. all confused she's worried her mind is a jumble and that's how Lyandrin gets in and I mean Varen does the same thing 
Like she can't perfectly do it. She needs to have the person kind of open to the idea or scattered in a way that leaves their brain capable of accepting this direction from the other person. And I know with like Rand, she never got to do that. Like there was never that moment where she was like, able to break him down mentally and i think that's one of the reasons why he was able to push her off so hard besides just being like too reverse stubborn you know i saw that as her compulsion working pretty well Mm -hmm. actually i figured rand just being who he is Mm -hmm. had maybe a little bit of protection being Mm -hmm. able being such a strong channeler Mm -hmm. that maybe there's a little bit that he was unknowingly protecting himself from Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we can't see him channeling from her perspective Mm -hmm. so maybe there was some type of shielding that he was able to do in that moment okay compared to one of the forsaken it's shit right but but i think she got amelisa completely in her grips Mm -hmm. and then amelisa went to all of her maids and had them hunting Rand out, like sniffing him out. Mm-hmm. So it worked pretty well, I would say. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that it's ineffective. It certainly does the job. But again, compared to one of the Forsaken, compared to what they can do, mm-hmm. it's so paltry. It's just like this little kind of parlor trick. And the fact that you have to like soften them up before they'll like accept your directives. I think that that's, I mean, Mogidian doesn't have to do that. Yeah. Grendel is, like, the worst. Grendel's great at it. She's like, hey, I'm just going to erase your whole mind and replace all of your thoughts with nothing but worship for me. That's why she has lower... (laughs) Cut dresses? Yeah. It's a distraction Yeah, for compulsion. Like... (laughs) Boobs, compulsion. Look over here. Yeah. (laughs) We did discuss how Robert Jordan was potentially a boob man. Yeah, maybe Leandrin just needs a push up bra. (laughs) (laughs) I'll send her one for Christmas. So at the end of this chapter, Pod and Fane is released from his his cell and he is like, oh, you're not who I expected. And of course, for me, the question is, who were you expecting? So I went in and I checked. It's confirmed that Ingtar was the one who released Fane from his cell. And then the question, who was he expecting? I kind of like dug just a little bit on the Internet. But one of the things I saw was on Theoryland and someone thought that it was one of the Forsaken. And I just don't know if I can get on board with that one. Like, their idea was that Fane could feel, like, the strength of one of the Forsaken coming close to him and that there was one of the Forsaken in Faldara. But I'm not aware of any Forsaken being in Faldara at this time. What do you think? Fane probably wouldn't know that Ingtar is a dark friend. a dark friend, yeah. Until he lets him out of his cell. Mm -hmm. So maybe it was just, like oh, it's you. Mm -hmm. Like, you're the dark friend who's here to let me out. Not Mm -hmm. like I was expecting someone else. The Madral killer. Well, yeah. I mean, if you see someone you're not expecting and then you get confirmation that that person is on your side, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you? You know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe he didn't expect anyone. Maybe he knew someone was going to come let him out and 
He's just like, oh, it's you. Oh, You're a dark yeah. friend. Cool. Gotcha. Thanks. Thanks for letting me out. That's what I want. Not everything needs a theory. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm lying. Give them all to me. <laughs> I, I do love like, it. I do like that it was Ingtar. Ingtar is one of my favorite side characters just because of what we get from him. Like, he is the opposite of Landrin when it comes to dark friends. Like, mm. he's like, I'm going to kill all of the Trollocs and I'm going to take on this fade and... I'm yeah, but do you ever soldier. feel like that's just a, a show? front? Yes, yeah, a little. Like, I'm not a dark friend. See, I love killing Exactly. Trollocs. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like that's there, but I also recognize in Shinar that that's kind of their entire existence in some ways, like killing Trollocs and Rudral. This guy's just extra hype about it. They don't have personalities. They're just like, <laughs> we kill Trollocs. That's everything to them. That is my personality. <laughs> that's the reason why I am. I mean, that's what he says. That's what he says in the eye of the world. Killing Trollocs, that is why I am, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I feel as though, yeah, he's a little over the top, but I also feel as though it's really, it's a good front, in my opinion. So that's all I had for chapter five. I didn't really have a lot to talk about chapter six, so I'm just going to go right into the meat of it all. I want to talk about Varen. Mm -hmm. This is a chapter that I have gone back and read and reread probably three or four times. Yeah. It is when we learn that the horn of Valier has been taken. Mm -hmm. So Moraine is talking to Varen. There is a conversation with, I believe, Swan Sanche in the room, and it is them, the three women. And. <sighs> okay. We were talking about Varen, which I'm saying so, before because I fucking love Varen. I. I do. I don't know what I feel about Varen. That's fair. I mean, she's awesome because of the twist, but. Does she really do much of anything besides being integral and, like, giving Egwene the book? Yeah, I think she does. If you have to think about it hard. No, I'm trying to think about which ones I kind of want to mention because, I mean, even in this moment, she's chosen as a sister to trust in helping to heal Matt, which is ironic. Any, anybody, any nameless I said I could do that, though. Exactly, but they didn't. They chose Varen. And so Varen she gets was there. to be, but they were like, we have to choose specific sisters because some sisters will take this the wrong way. Like, they will see the shadow in something when it's not there. So there was a- But that essentially doesn't affect the plot at all. Like, it could be, if it was anyone else- it wouldn't change the plot. Do you know what oh, I'm saying? I see. I see what you're saying. Okay. Well, the other thing that I'm thinking about is when she is in Kyrian after Dumai's Wells, and she's working with the Aes Sedai who have been taken captive or have sworn oaths, and she's using compulsion in that moment to kind of make sure that they do specific things. What those specific things are, I don't remember. But I think that that's one of those areas where she's just very behind the scenes doing Yeah, but things. it doesn't 
it doesn't really affect the plot at all. I mean, if you left these Aes Sedai that were supposedly untrustworthy Mm -hmm. and on, they were the bad guys. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't need a storyline after that, Yeah, you know, like cage them up, send them off back to Tarvalin, like. It doesn't really make a difference what happens. Mm-hmm. I feel like her and her entire plot is just a question of whether she is or isn't a dark friend, only to be to be revealed that she's not. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's it's a fun mystery, mm-hmm. but it's just a mystery. Like, the mystery is Varen. Mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. feel like it really supports anyone. Yeah. I don't know, like, it just, I've been thinking a lot about characters they will and maybe won't Mm -hmm. bring into the show, Mm -hmm. and the more I think about Varen, I'm I'm not trying to say that I hate Varen, that I hate that she's included or something, because I don't, but it is going to be a really hard thing casting someone with the name Varen Mm -hmm. and they will be expecting the twist Mm -hmm. from the moment we see her Mm -hmm. no that's actually I mean that's a really really good point it's a really good point I think I would be more excited if they were somehow able to work her storyline in without me realizing that she's gonna be the one Mm -hmm. to give us a twist Mm -hmm. like one of those moments Mm -hmm. but i don't think she's necessary Mm -hmm. to the wheel of time story Mm -hmm. for the plot it was entertaining like it was super entertaining Mm -hmm. but does that outweigh driving to the story driving the plot line along Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know you make some very good points. Rob has a whole episode about what would happen if, like, Varen isn't there, mm-hmm. which is really intriguing. Mm. I would recommend that to someone. I think um, you just recommended it to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll have to watch it now. I'm kind of excited. But anyways, yeah. going back to Varen in the books, Moraine is in the room with Varen and Swan and This is the quote from the book. Mm -hmm. Moraine gave the brown sister a wry look. Mm -hmm. So she's looking at Varen. Mm -hmm. She then speaks to the people in the room, which is Varen. Then we must find the dagger, sister. We must find the dagger. Mm -hmm. Agomar is sending his men to hunt for those who took the horn and who slew his oath men. And the same who took the dagger. If we find one, we'll find the other. Mm-hmm. And then Varen nodded. Mm-hmm. Looking at this very short piece, it could be argued that Moraine is sending Varen to go look for the horn and the dagger, mm-hmm. right? And then we get the moment where Varen shows up and says, Moraine sent me. So I would like to propose that Varen did not lie. Ooh, she didn't lie. Yeah, because she does. She just used her eyes to die, twisting of what was said. Maureen sent her. Yeah, wild. Could argue that Maureen sent her. 
Huh. Good catch. I didn't even I didn't even think about that. Cause I mean we know there's that moment where it's like Varen lied. Like people will say mm -hmm. Varen lied. But I think you make a really strong case for this not being the case. When I first read it, I was like, oh, Varen's a liar. <laughs> We've got another dark friend on our hands. Yeah. There's enough for her to kind of mm -hmm. scoot her way out of this. Not, not lie. It's, <laughs> it's a not lie. It's a not lie. It's an almost lie, but not. I also had a comment about the dagger and Varen because she says that the dagger will corrupt those around them. And this definitely... I love that you brought this up. Oh, good. I This definitely makes you think of Fane and the White Cloaks later on and how, like, his group of White Cloaks get all grubby and they're not, like, keeping their tents tidy and whatnot. And they're just this ramshackle bunch of White Cloaks. And it's because of the dagger... I mean, in my opinion, it's it's that corruption that's seeping from the dagger that's now gotten into the white cloaks. I kind of think white cloaks would probably be exceptionally susceptible to mm -hmm. the power of the dagger. Does he have the dagger when he's in Emmonsfield? I think so. Doesn't he steal it away from Tarvalon? Maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe he's absorbed enough of the uh, the corruption of the the dagger that he himself is a corruptible or a corrupting influence. He's just an empty shell anyway. So whatever that was there to corrupt would just fill him <laughs> up like a vase. He's you know what I mean? something than man all the time. Poor Pot and Fane. Yeah, he's a corruption sponge. <laughs> a, a leaky corruption sponge. <laughs> Gross. I'm picturing it being like dirty, gross, dark water too, because it's pot. Oh, and pain, like like know? a dirty, dank bar, and the yeah. bartender like rings the dish water yeah. from the gross. dirty glasses out. Okay. That's Fane. <laughs> I wonder if anybody else has described him that he way. Smells like Jägermeister <laughs> dirt <laughs> and gin. Yeah, and regretful twenty-year-olds. <laughs> Red Bull <laughs> and Axe body spray. This is perfect. <laughs> I hate him even more now. <laughs> That's so funny. Was there anything else about like the dagger and its corrupting influence that you wanted to like? No. Okay. I'm excited to keep going mm -hmm. with the story and then maybe it will become clear as we go. Awesome. So the passage on in my book, page one twenty, that refers to Luke and Insom Isom, excuse me. One did live and one did die, but both are. And I love this. This is such a tragic backstory and I feel as though it's one of those like little ones that is like breadcrumbs that gets dropped throughout the series and you have to piece it fully together yourself and this was something that went completely over my head yeah. on my first read yeah because i'm it's like just a bunch lord of luke names. who yeah some who T they're two they're who? one yeah yeah who who are they why is this important why why should i care but who they become is just so 
fascinating like the the slayer character this combination of two individuals to one individual who kind of can switch back and forth is creepy it's creepy but it's cool and i really like it and i love that it's in this prophecy so this whole dark prophecy from varen is fascinating there are so many things about it that we could probably talk about especially since she's black aja like i have to wonder if Varen also has access to some sort of weird dark archive out there because she's also black aja i feel like if it wasn't it almost feels like this would be something Varen would join the black aja to get access to i agree so she can decipher trollic script or whatever yep i mean yeah it's really dumb like it's an <laughs> awful idea or maybe she was trying to decode it looking for some archive or something gets caught and was like uh no i'm here because i love the dark one yeah that's why i'm here yeah <laughs> and then just got stuck in it but i just i think that'd be really fascinating if there was some sort of weird library at shale ghoul or something that we don't know about if she had her own story, it would be more fascinating than her story, in, like in the Wheel of Time. Like I her think backstory that's what I is like more so much about her. Like the little things about Varen that get put in there, like the fact that she would leave sweets for more, ugh, for more rain and Swan. Swan, she has a moment with Swan where she's like, "I won't forget that you are the one who left sweets mm-hmm. out for me." As a novice in the tower, or accepted, or whatever, but. Right now, you're crossing a line. Yeah, I'm the Amberlin. You are not. <laughs> Can you imagine if Farron has had to like have meetings with Fades or Shadar Haran or oh my God. being in proximity to like a Forsaken or something? And then Swan being in a room with Swan would be like, like you're a mouse. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> She's the owl? Yeah, I don't think Varen is intimidated of Swan at all. No. I don't think Varen is easily intimidated. And that's something else I like about her, and maybe it's just a feeling. But, I mean, she does... She gets kicked out of farmatting. And she has For writing graffiti. Is that what it is? Yeah. It is? They were like, no, we hate you. Your graffiti sucks. (laughs) This is according to Pips on Twitter. (laughs) This is our theory. Well, then it's we had canon. A, we had it sealed to the... I don't remember if it was sealed to the stable or sealed to the tower. It was one of the sealed to the meetings mm-hmm. on Zoom. And we were talking about what did Farron do in far, ma- far matting to get kicked out. Right. And the unanimous answer was like graffiti. <laughs> it was like, this town sucks. <laughs> And they're like, get out of here, you thug. So no subtle ruffian. No subtle Banksy kind of art. <laughs> <laughs> Just straight up. This town sucks. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty great. I like her uh, forthrightness in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what? We should let's plug that because you know why? Because it's why? nice. If you're a listener and you don't do it. And you would like to talk to some Wheel of Time fans. Yeah. Like actually talk to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you don't even have to talk. Some people just 
hang out on the phone and listen to other people talk. Mm-hmm. You can lurk. Yeah. It's totally fine. Yeah. You don't need you don't even need to show your face. Mm-mm. So I think the one that I did with you guys, I kept my phone in my pocket the majority of the time and just had my earbuds in and yeah. listened and muted when I was using my mixer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 If you think this is something that sounds like fun, just get a hold of us or get a hold of Pips or mm-hmm. Snakes, Snakes and, Foxes and Foxes on Twitter. Yeah. And they can they can lead you in the right direction. Yeah. The conversation yeah. direction. Because I, I mean, when we chatted with Zach last week, one of the things that like really touched me was that he was like, this is the first time I've been able to have a conversation with someone about Wheel of Time. <laughs> and I think there are a lot of people out there like that. Like I know for me, Anytime somebody mentions that they read the series, I'm just like, oh, yeah, let's talk about it, you know, but it it just doesn't feel like there are that many people. I feel like that is changing. I feel like especially with like all the hype that I'm, Amazon Prime is building up around the show, there's going to be a Ooh. lot of awareness of this particular series. And I, I'm very excited to see what will happen. You should go on Facebook to the Wheel of Time page and see if any one of your mutual friends has liked the trailer or the show. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Yeah, finding people who love this series is like, oh, we're best friends now. (laughs) Knock on their door. Can I talk to you about our Lord and Savior, the dragon? Knock, knock, knock. Have you heard of Shout it to the world. Randall Thor, Nine Eve Almira. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.